Well, if China closes part of one of the world's busiest ports because of just one COVID case, then can't we expect supply disruptions for a long time to come? Add to that a big fall in consumer confidence in the US because of, guess what, COVID. And at home, New South Wales in lockdown for a lot longer with tougher measures from today. You can understand why markets are a little more sensitive right now. Yet over the water... The RBNZ will lift interest rates this week. It's a topsy-turvy world, isn't it? It's Monday, the 16th of August, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, there's a big fall in the US dollar on Friday morning, uh, with the DXY losing 0.6%, the the euro gaining the same amount, the Aussie up 0.5%, the pound up 0.4%. At the same time, we saw this big fall in Treasury yields, 10, base, uh, 10 years down, 8 basis points, uh, a move limited to North America. Canadian yields are also down, but much, much less so in Europe. The stock market was fairly lackadaisical. It was still heading up, though. Hardly any moves, though, on the Dow and the Nasdaq. The S&P was up less than 0.2%. In Europe, the FTSE 100 up a third of 1%. The DAX up a quarter of a percent. And oil down. We had a 1% drop in Brent, whilst gold was up 1.5%. Silver close to 3% up. Uh, Tapas Strickland is with me this morning from NAB in Sydney. So, Tapas, those uh, that, that big fall in, uh, in Treasury yields, uh, 1.3%, falling below 1.3% for 10 years back to where it was in early August. Uh, I mean, then we were saying, you know, the, the belief was that yields were artificially weak. Uh, but, you know, hey, look, it, it looks like they don't want to go any higher. Not for now, anyway. Uh, good morning, Phil. Yes, it remains the case that the bond market, and you have to say the FX market to some extent, remains a little bit more cautious uh, in regards to the outlook, particularly uh, with uh, the Delta variant sweeping across many parts of the world. Uh, and then you contrast that to the equity market, which uh, obviously hit a new record high on Friday up 0.2% for the S&P 500. Um, in regards to the fall in yields on Friday, uh, almost entirely driven by that worse than expected fall in headline consumer sentiment. And just to put that into perspective, the level of that index is now at 702 and that's below the pandemic low of 71.8 recorded in April wow. 2020. So it gives you some kind of feeling for how low consumer sentiment has dipped and in the US. And it was the surprise of it, wasn't it? Because, I mean, it, it was, uh, I think, the, the, the Bloomberg survey of economists had it coming in at 81.3. It was at 81.2 uh, the month before. Uh, so to fall to 70.2, which is where it went, because normally, uh, you know, the market isn't phased too much by consumer sentiment readings unless – it is like a big quantum leap like this one. Yes, that's right. And uh, just worth noting that 13.5% fall is the seventh largest monthly fall in the history of the survey that dates back to 1953. Um, So quite a significant fall in sentiment. And uh, at this stage, it does raise fears within some that the spread of the Delta variant may slow the US recovery, and that may push back the kind of thoughts around tapering and maybe even um, the first uh, rate hike in the second half of uh, 2022. So that's where the bond market is uh, kind of seeing things. Uh, In terms of where the equity market is seeing things, you'd have to say that um, the uh, drop in consumer confidence due to the Delta variant uh, isn't necessarily overly concerning in the sense that we do have vaccines that are very effective and it's about getting the uh, penetration ratio of those vaccines up even higher than it was before. So I think that's the reason why relatively you've seen um, relatively calm in terms of the reaction in the equity market to the worse than expected consumer confidence, but it does put a greater premium 
on our US retail sales figures that are out on Tuesday just to see if there is any impact in terms of activity. So far, absolutely. Yes, I mean, the expect our forward forecasts aren't getting hit too hard there in the United States, I think is what you're saying, isn't it? But I mean, the numbers are still high. So the seven-day moving average for cases in the US is over 121,000 from around 12,000 in mid-June, despite the vaccines. And then we've got big areas of concern like Florida, for example, almost 26,000 new cases on Saturday. Uh, but I guess they're looking at the peak, aren't they, that they saw in the UK. I'm wondering whether they're going to go the same way, because the UK peaked at 45,000 cases a day, down to 26,000 in early August. They are starting to rise again, though, and they are filling football stadiums full of people. Uh, so I wonder whether they're going to see that n- number rise. The, the, I, I guess the problem is, and this is where the uncertainty is, we don't know, do we? I mean, people are fed up with COVID, but we also don't know where it's taking us. Uh, yes, I, I think that's right. But uh, the experience so far, and we can only really take the experience of other countries, and particularly the UK and Israel, is that when you get that vaccination rate high enough, uh, then the people who mm. become hospitalized with a virus on yeah. the whole team, tend to be those who are unvaccinated. So it's about lifting that vaccine uh penetration ratio up beyond that 80% level. And that's where a lot of the kind of policies are shifting, uh, especially in in Israel at at the moment. Uh, In regards to the US, it doesn't seem like there's any appetite to comprehensively tighten restrictions there. Uh, So I think um, it'll be just a natural reaction. And here, if consumer sentiment has fallen quite sharply, it's likely some of those who are unvaccinated will probably be motivated to go get vaccinated if the Delta fears are indeed the driver behind that fall in consumer confidence. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Let's go back to those those numbers out of the US very quickly because the, the other side of the story was the inflation expectations, which were also high, the 5 to 10-year expectations at 3%. Uh, that doesn't sound very transitory to me. Uh, I don't call five years away transitory. So there's an expectation that inflation is going to hold a reasonably high level. Uh, yes, but you'd even have to say even at that 3% level for the five to 10 year inflation expectation, that is only really just bringing it back up to where it was uh, just prior to mm. the pandemic there. And I think it's within one standard deviation of its long run average there since 1996. So nothing really to write home about in terms of uh, fears around a rise in inflation expectations. But just worth noting, the Fed's tolerance for above target inflation is definitely bounded by inflation expectations. And if that inflation expectations component were to rise further still, uh, then I think that's when the Fed becomes a little bit more concerned. And you'd have to say, with most of the rhetoric around the Fed suggesting that they're going to be making a tapering announcement at an upcoming meeting, so whether that's September, November or December, and that there's a probability that the Fed hikes rates in the in the, the late bit of uh, 2022, then you'd have to say uh, the Fed is already starting to react a little bit um, to some concerns that the lift in inflation will be a little bit more than transitory. And the other concern is obviously is about uh, supply and demand and those uh, supply chain issues. So if we've got China with a, a, a zero COVID policy, which is why the uh, Ningbo Zhuzhan port, which I'm almost certain I pronounced that wrong, but they, they closed that partially on Friday, that this is the third busiest terminal port in the world, closed after just one case i mean if they keep that up then you know that we're going to see many more shutdowns in the future with with all the supply costs and, and delays associated with that oh definitely and that's one of the factors behind why you may think uh, the transitory components behind the rise in inflation might persist for a little bit longer than mm. you expected there and also highlights that uh, the world is still is still struggling to transition towards living with the virus. And I think China is definitely worth watching quite closely just um, because they have vaccinated quite a high percentage of their 
population, but obviously with a different vaccine candidate. And there are some suggestions that the Chinese economy itself is is starting to slow. So where do yields go from here, bond yields go from here then? Because we saw a lot of bonds sold last week. There was clearly an appetite. Uh, but, you know, going forward, if there's going to be progressively less issued, and then I guess it's counteracted by the fact that the Fed's going to buy less of them, what, what's that going to do? Where are yields going to take us? I guess in the near term, you'd have to respect what we saw in the movement uh, in prices and yields on Friday. And it does suggest that there is a lot of skittishness still in regards to what is going on with the Delta variant. So you'd have to say uh, perhaps some of the risk is that yields retrace a little bit in the very near term. But I think the kind of longer term profile, if the Fed does embark on tapering its asset purchases and if they do start hiking rates in the second half of uh, 2022, then uh, yields should rise a little bit from, from here. But importantly, the very longer end of the curve, so the 530s, uh, is likely to, to flatten as people bring forward uh, the peak in the Fed funds rate if they think the Fed is going to be over aggressive in its hiking cycle. Right. Now, the unrest we're seeing in Afghanistan this morning, the expectation is that's not really going to uh, have too much influence on the market short term. The uh, Obviously, long-term repercussions in the region, but uh, not much market reaction today. It probably has bigger ramifications over a medium-term kind of perspective, and that includes over a number of years. But in the very near term, I don't think it would have too much of a market-moving impact. And Afghanistan isn't a major producer of many commodities, uh, so in that sense, uh, won't necessarily disrupt markets, but um, it could have impacts on, on supply on chains if, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and, region. and on political stability as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, a shorter term impact. Uh, China's um, numbers out today. Uh, is there a slowdown happening? Uh, well, we'll find industrial production, fixed asset investment, retail sales today. They would be important numbers to watch, I'd guess. Uh, definitely. And uh, there have been a number of different a- um, anecdotes within the official Chinese press pointing towards those slowdown fears. And I think uh, the risks there are definitely to the downside, especially just given the Delta variant and those restrictions on mobility and travel in China occurred during their traditional summer vacation period. So uh, I think there is quite a, a risk there that they become weaker than expected. And just in China as well, uh, just worth noting the uh, National People's Congress Standing Committee is also meeting for four days from Tuesday through to Friday. So you may see a few legislative items being being debated there, including a new sanctions law in Hong Kong and, and Macau, and also maybe some changes to family planning just to boost those birth rates in China, just given um, there were some suggestions that Chinese population growth may have actually gone negative over the past couple of years. Right. So they're going to go from saying you can't have more than one kid to you've got to have at least two or three. Is that is that what they're going to say? We'll see. Uh, look, uh, we didn't talk about what's happening in New South Wales. I mean, we're all painfully aware of it. Two days with uh, over 400 cases. Gladys Berejiklian and is... Uh, uh, I mean, she's talking optimistically about restrictions being lifted in a couple of months, but um, that, that presumably means, you know, the lockdown is going to continue through September and October. It's going to get progressively stricter if those numbers don't fall. Uh, and, you know, we've got a few numbers out this week. We've got the em- employment numbers for July on Thursday. We've got wages on, on Wednesday. We've got the RBA minutes as well this week. But, I mean, they are all going to be, you know, overtaken by events, aren't they? Because, I mean, if we, if we have months of lockdown, it's, it's going to have a you know, a far bigger impact on the economy. Oh, definitely. And just with noting that, um, while NAB still expects a pretty swift rebound in activity once those restrictions ease and you get to that 70 to 80% vaccination rate, uh, if we don't ease those restrictions substantially until, say, mid-October, then that probably puts that recovery into the late bit of Q4. So it does suggest that uh, quite subdued 
conditions in Australia could could persist uh, until the later end of, of Q4. And just to put some perspective in terms of the impact so far, uh, the Prime Minister released some figures on Friday, noting about three quarters of a million people in New South Wales um, that had lost hours, had received some form of income support. Um, and uh, the longer that the Sydney lockdown goes on for, then the greater risk that those who lost hours uh, translate into those who lose employment as well. Mm. Um, in terms of the employment figures, uh, they 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 span the two weeks uh, to July seventeen, so only really pick up the very beginnings of the impact of Sydney's protracted lockdown. And the consensus there, and Nabby's also around there, is looking for around thirty thousand jobs lost, and for the unemployment rate to rise ten to five percent. Uh, the risk, though, over the next couple of months, is that you get more job losses and the unemployment rate continues to rise there. And while all this is going on, big week for New Zealand, the RBNZ, the first rate hike since 2014 expected this week, uh, possibly the first of several. Yes, and not only the first rate hike since 2014, uh, will be also one of the first major developed central banks yeah. to hike rates, um, with Norway expected to hike rates, I think, next month there. So uh, New Zealand, they're leading uh, a number of different countries uh, in terms of uh, looking to lift rates. When you look at market pricing, um, the market's price, the overnight cash rate at 0.55% at the end of August. So that suggests there's a 25 basis point rate hike is fully priced and there's a 20% probability of a 50 basis point move. So uh, market is well and truly there in, t- in terms of pricing. And then the way the market narrative usually goes is, okay, if the Fed, sorry, if the RBNZ raises rates, then how steep is that hiking profile and how high do rates actually go? And when you look at the August uh, so when you look at the NPS last month, um, that had indicated a terminal overnight cash rate of around 1.78%. And so uh, it's possible that um, the RBNZ forecasts a higher peak in the OCR track, just given the amount of inflation pressures occurring in the New Zealand economy. Yeah, particularly house prices. Hopefully it gets the, gets that growth in check. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, Japan's GDP numbers as well uh, out today. But I'm told markets really react to, the, to those numbers. It's going to be a small move anyway, isn't it? Uh, so we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Tapas. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Great. Thanks. Cheers, Phil. And that's it for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. Stay safe. Catch you in the morning.